This is what you call a honeymoon. Pacing around our separate rooms. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Composers Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear won a Grammy this year for their first concept album, the unofficial Bridgerton musical. You're hearing some of it right now. The album is an homage to the Netflix show Bridgerton, which was itself an adaptation of a popular series of romance novels. Now, fans and critics loved it, but now Netflix is suing the composers for, quote, blatant infringement of intellectual property rights. Here to explain the case and what it could mean for fan fiction and other fan-created content is Cynthia Ho, who's director of the Intellectual Property Program at Loyola University Chicago. Welcome to Reset. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. And here with us is Amanda Ray Prescott. She's a freelance entertainment journalist and a big Bridgerton fan. Welcome back, Amanda. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll start with you, Professor. Explain this to us. Why is Netflix suing the composers of this unofficial Bridgerton musical? Um. Well, uh, I haven't spoken to Netflix, but as the copyright (laughs) owner, they do have the authority with the copyright to prevent anyone from copying or making derivative works. Um, And as a musical based on the uh, Netflix series, it's definitely a derivative work. So, Amanda, just so everyone's caught up, tell us how Bridgerton went from a book series to this unofficial musical, which was first released on TikTok. So TikTok is a place where fans of whatever franchise or book series or movie or whatever they love, they make parodies of things. They cover, you know, if, it, if there's music in the show, they'll cover songs or whatever. So what ended up happening is Barlow and Bear, along with some other folks, started, they're like, well, what if Bridgerton's love story became a musical? And it started as small little snippets here and there. And then in somewhere in... Ch- 2021 became an entire show like they had enough songs to create a whole show at first people were fine with it netflix was even like oh this is a cute little parody thing but where now the lawsuit comes from is they have barlow mayor have gone beyond the traditional venue for fandom works they've they applied to the grammys for the show which is something that other fan based things have never done before they the lawsuit actually was triggered by them trying to create a stage version at the Kennedy Center. And that is where Netflix is like, okay, you guys have now gone from this is just a cute little thing on the internet to you're threatening our income, <laughs> I essentially. See. So yeah, that's Yeah, so Professor, as as this story went through all these adaptations, what should we know then about the fair use laws uh, protecting Julia Quinn's rights to the story that she created? Okay, so there is a very important defense to being sued for violating copyright called fair use. But what's um, not always known is that this is a defense that if you win at trial, it gets you 100% off the hook, but that can take a lot of time and money to figure out. And it's one of the most um, ambiguous and hard-to-predict provisions in the Copyright Act. So they could claim this, but there's no it's, – it's hard to say right now whether or not they'll win. The, the cases are all across the map. Um, so one thing that's helpful is if it's transformative. Uh, usually it's unhelpful if it's commercial, but there are examples where things 
are commercial, but courts find it's really transformative. Here, transforming from a book slash TV to a musical isn't major, unlike there was a case where uh, the Dr. Seuss um, Grinch Stole Christmas, they took the, there was a play that took the character Cindy Lou Who, and then she became this middle-aged kind of um, disgruntled woman living in a trailer. So almost nothing from the original uh, words were taken, and it was a very, very different context. So that was eventually found to be fair use. Um, this is quite different, so it's, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Well, Amanda, how closely does the concept album follow the story of the Netflix adaptation? Very, very closely. They're using all the character names are the same, the plot line's the same, the way um, there's been concept art around the costumes and the like is very similar to Bridgerton. Um, if they went now, there would have been room in earlier development process that they would have been more in line with current legal proceedings on this matter. Like, for example, they build it as something based on Jane Austen, which she is long dead. It's public domain. Anything based on her works can individually be copyrighted if it's changed, but her characters and the like cannot be copyrighted because it was published before the U.S. Copyright Act existed, which I think was 1923. Fresta can check me if I'm wrong on that date, but it's public domain. If they said it was Regency musical, you can't copyright history to that extent. It's too vague. But they used Simon and Daphne and the whole cast in the story. It's and quotes from the from the TV series and the book series. If they decide to create their own story with just basically the tropes of romance, because you can't copyright you can't copyright a young girl experiencing romance and love for the first time. That's way too big of a concept. But if those character names are Simon and Daphne, that's where Netflix is coming in. Like, okay, you're using our intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So if I follow here, Barlow and Bear, they, they approached Netflix in, in March 2021. They were asking for its blessing to, for a recorded album of their work and to put on these charity shows. And Netflix didn't initially stop their, their progress. Why, Professor? Um, again, we, we haven't spoken to Netflix, but um, I think there's a big difference between doing a charity show and um, doing something that benefits you commercially. And actually, if you look at the fair use factors, there's a number of factors. Uh, one is the purpose of the use, commercial or non-transformative. Another one is market impact. So there are litigated cases where people who are fans have been found liable because what they did directly competed. So there's actually a case involving um, a Harry Potter fan who was crying on the stand because he made this encyclopedia that he thought was just a tribute to um, J.K. Rowling, but because she was preparing her own encyclopedia, that was found to be um, too close. Now, a lot of times these cases settle because it's just unknown how the courts will rule. Um, but I'm guessing that Netflix finally brought suit because whereas um, with the initial TikTok, that was just kind of getting more people interested in the show, arguably, um, because Netflix has their own version of live events, this is now considered too close to what they're doing um, and infringing on their right to profit. 
Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Netflix is suing the creators of the Grammy-winning unofficial Bridgerton musical, and we're talking about the case and what it could mean for other fan fiction. Our guests are freelance entertainment journalist Amanda Ray Prescott and intellectual property expert Cynthia Ho from Loyola University, Chicago. So there's so much fan fiction out there, but Amanda, how would you define it exactly? Oof, that's a huge question. Um, fan fiction can take uh, take on many forms. The most common form is the written word. People write stories based on what they see on TV and movies. Like for example, there's a lot of like fans wanna if if let's say their favorite character got killed off in a movie, they'll write a fan fiction where it's like, oh, that person didn't die now, it's all fixed. Or they'll take a they'll take a set of characters from one thing and cross it over something else. Uh, Harry Potter, which we've used as an example, there's Harry Potter crossovers, all sorts of different things online um, in terms of fan fiction. There is also, um, sometimes it is, uh, sometimes people use um, visual imagery to create fan fiction mm-hmm. in like comic, in comic, web comic form or other sorts of illustration or art. Um, it's also could even, can it can even in come into some people make their own audio dramas that are fan that are basically fan fiction. Now, fan fiction legally is in a weird place because people are using characters from copyrighted properties. However, the profit angle is really where 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 the line is drawn. Like for example, most fanfic creators do not make any money on their projects. But if somebody decides to start publishing their own if they wanted to publish a romance novel or anything yeah. else, they have to then go through the process of taking away all the copyrighted material and replacing with their own not copyrighted material. Like for example, after the after Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey, several uh, romance and erotica authors kind of came up with their own twists on those stories, but they got rid of everything that was that other that the film company could have sued them mm-hmm. for, the original mm-hmm. author could have sued them for. I see. Um, yeah, actually, Harry Potter once again is a good example because there's two parody slash fair use musicals around there around Harry Potter. Um, a very Potter musical thing came out on YouTube in 2009, but the courts have ruled that it was mocking the characters and mo- and a purely comedic exercise, and they didn't have any public performances. So WB kind of left them alone. There was another um, fan produced play called Puffs. But they removed, it was considered fair use because they've removed enough of the original of the Harry Potter um, copyright trademarks that now it's just a bunch of kids in a magical school that's sort of like Harry Potter, but they have right, enough original right. content in it. Yeah. I see. So, so Professor, I was going to ask you, at what point does fan fiction cross the line? It sounds like it's not always just at the point when fan fiction starts to turn a profit, like what happened here with Bridgerton. So, it 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 would sound or seem like there should be a specific line, but the thing with fair use is there is no clear line. It's meant to be this balancing test. Um, and a lot of times, actually, um, copyright owners let fan fiction go for a while until they think that this is going to be problematic for them. Because in, in some cases, it can be good publicity. Um, parody is a little bit tricky because sometimes copyright owners try to shut it down because they feel like it's going to be bad press for them, but but not always. 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's a little bit unsettling, I think, a lot of times that there's not a clear line. Uh, one case involving um, a play that has been shown um, in in Chicago is Hand of God, and they have this satanic puppet that recites lines from who's on first, who's on second. Um, and it was like the identical lines, and it was eventually found not to be fair use. But what's interesting is that the first court to review it, the trial court, said that's fine. Um, it was only on appeal that the Second Circuit said, no, that's actually not fine. Just to give you an idea that even when the exact same lines are used and you're dealing with, you know, judicial experts, not everyone agrees. Right. So I'll ask you this. What might this lawsuit uh, against the unofficial Bridgerton musical, what, what might that mean for fan fiction and, and fan-created content moving forward? Um, I think some of that may depend on how far it goes. So if this actually proceeds to litigation, then um, depending on what the court decides, that could have a major impact. But a lot of these cases settle, in which case it's unclear what the impact will be. Um, some actually may think that um, Netflix has already shown a lot of uh, generosity to permit the fan fiction to go on as long as it has, uh, because they didn't even object at the point where um, these two people were submitting and obtaining a Grammy. It was only when they started to do the public performances right. that there was an issue. So, Amanda, do you think that this could deter people from creating works of fan fiction? in the future? Or would it deter you from creating fan fiction? I would say it's more of a deterrent for anybody who attempts to publicize their fan fiction beyond just their friends on the internet. Um, it's also a little bit concerning too from the, from the musical theater perspective, because again, a lot of up and coming, um, up and coming folks who write music and stuff, they're going to be, they may want to use something that's copyrighted and that's going to, in this case, however it turns out, may deter them from creating future original works based on what may be already copyrighted material. Yeah. What I'm also what I'm also concerned with now is that the fact that they're using Netflix is using the Bridgerton traveling um, experience that might have an impact on another form of fan generated work. For example, meetups and gatherings by customers and other groups. If people use Bridgerton in advertising their own individual events, will they now, will Netflix start suing people for using that, for using their copyright in that fashion? Even if it's not, even if there's no official Bridgerton convention, is that going to affect the, is that going to affect the way people, way fans interact um, in person? Yeah, like that's, that's still... That's a pretty fair question. Also, too, a lot of Bridgerton fans are are they are aspiring romance novel writers. Are they going to go after future romance novel writers for writing something about the Regency? Now, that case is going to be a little bit harder to prove, obviously, mm -hmm. because there are several other copyrighted and public fair use anything off since fair use, for example. But there's also copyrighted content that has nothing to do with Bridgerton and nothing to do with Austin. That's also set in Regency era, like we have. Vanity Fair on Amazon Prime. We have uh, Sanditon on PBS. Like those show, and also Mr. Malcolm's movie. Those are all set in Regency, but they're not controlled by Netflix at all. Right. So that line, how much profit can fans generate from their work, is a very tricky thing. And also, to another 
factor in the lawsuit is merchandise. Folks have made money off of creating Bridgerton and Bridgerton side costumes. Will Netflix go after those folks online for that too? There's a lot of there's a lot yeah, of a lot of questions here. there. Yeah, a lot of things to to keep an eye on. Amanda Ray Prescott is a freelance entertainment journalist, and Professor Cynthia Ho is the director of the Intellectual Property Program at Loyola University. Very interesting stuff. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.